Hello, and welcome to the Practicing Clinicians Exchange Infectious Diseases Podcast. I'm your host, Petra Cravens. Today's episode features an expert in infectious diseases answering audience questions from a live virtual meeting on the prevention and treatment of patients at high risk for complications due to influenza titled The Return of the Flu, Prevention and Management Beyond Vaccination in 2022. During this podcast, Dr. Tracy Zivinchitella will answer the questions moderated by Daniel Zalanoff, PA. Questions will cover such important topics as emerging resistance patterns of currently used antivirals, whether or not to get the flu vaccine after treatment with antivirals, selecting therapy for patients who test positive for flu and COVID-19, and the retreatment of high-risk patients with antivirals after another flu exposure. For more information on Dr. Zivin Tutela and Mr. Zalanoff, along with a link to the complete program, including a downloadable slide set, please visit the show notes for this episode. Now let's get started and hear what the experts have to say on this important topic. We're going to be talking about the flu today. We are joined by Dr. Tracy Zivin-Tutela. She is an attending physician in the Division of Infectious Disease at Fountain Valley Regional Hospital and at Los Alamitos Medical Center, Los Alamitos, California. The first question that came in from Deborah, and actually one that I had as well, is regarding resistance. She says that uh, based on your slides, veloxivir is up to 23%. Does that mean that a patient should not take it again if they get the flu again? Or does it also mean that they might give somebody else a resistant form of the flu if they're administered veloxivir? The real answer to that is we're not really sure, right? To get flu twice in one season is unusual, but can happen, especially in the seasons that are very long. Sometimes we have seasons that run out really till April or May. We've seen more flu in the summer this year than we have in most other years, which uh, I hope is not an indication that we're going to a more year-round low level of flu than we normally have. It's really hard to know without true studies of Biloxi severe aseltamivir and all our other agents without yearly data knowing our resistance for that year because the virus changes um, every year. So I would say no, um, I would not have an issue with giving any of the treatments a second time if somebody had a second round of flu or next season would also have it. And again, the transmission of resistant virus is really for when you're shedding, right? So you could almost argue the opposite. If we can decrease viral shedding, then we have less of a chance to keep passing that around to family and friends and school and office mates. So I don't know that it inhibits from using one antiviral versus the other at this point. That may change in the future as we look at resistant patterns. But again, I do think it's important to decrease shedding, home isolate, don't go in the public, don't go into the office. If there's anything we learned from COVID is if you're sick, please stay home. I think that's the one takeaway that I try to emphasize as much as possible. So, and uh, follow up again from my end, regarding the resistance patterns, or have they been pretty stable or have we seen fluctuations in that with either of the antivirals? 
They have been pretty stable. And um, again, the last few seasons have been such a low level virus that we're using a very small denominator. So in prior to the last three years, we had a lot of circulating flu. So we had a large denominator and we can say, okay, our resistance is X, Y, or Z. These last last three seasons, it's been so low that we're not really quite sure if those numbers, you know, the denominator is so small, is that is that resistance skewed or not? And I think, unfortunately, I think we're going to have a busier flu season this year if we're looking at the Southern Hemisphere, which typically predicts ours. And I think we'll have a better idea after the season. Any benefits to vaccinating a previously unvaccinated patient after they've received treatment for an influenza uh, episode in that same season? Great question. I get this uh, asked this a lot. Um, if the season is still going on or it's not the very end of the season, I would say. So if you're not in March, April or May in the U.S., then yes, you can, getting the flu vaccine is beneficial because we do see patients who get flu A possibly early mid-season and they get flu B later in the season. Typically, in a typical season, flu B comes later, flu A earlier. So flu A doesn't protect you against B. So if you, let's say we're getting flu today, and it, we know it's flu A um, from our, our testing, then and there, you're not vaccinated, I would wait till you're recovered and feeling better, even with treatment, and then get the vaccine shortly after. We usually recommend within two weeks, as long as you're feeling better, not hospitalized, and then that will help protect you for flu B for the rest of the season or later in the season. For patients who, for whatever reason, uh, test positive for both COVID and flu, so a co-infection, would you prefer antiviral treatment for COVID versus flu, or would you consider co-prescribing with Paxlovid uh, or one of the other antiviral medications as well? So this is a great question, especially because we're all worried about the twindemic, as you the media likes to call it, um, which is the infection with both. And I can tell you as an East Coast physician in March of 2020, we actually in March 2020 saw a lot of flu and COVID initially. The first two weeks, I saw several flu and COVID together. So they, they do like to hang out. But very quickly, that wild type COVID, as it was new in 2020, just pushed flu out of the way. And about two or three weeks after COVID started, we, we didn't see any flu. Um, I suspect we will see a lot this year with the decrease of mitigation measures. And I would have no problem as long as there's no contraindications to giving Paxlovid and flu treatment together. Again, there's no interactions with the two together. The biggest, I think, concern would be maybe some nausea, GI upset. The choice of oseltamivir versus biloxivir is choice. Paxlovid is, if that's the treatment um, that someone's taking, that's a five-day treatment. Again, oseltamivir treatment would be five days and biloxivir would be one day, but no contraindication to giving both. Is there a good way to avoid severe complications due to the flu besides yearly vaccinations? Are there any other kind of techniques, uh, over-the-counter therapies that you would recommend? Sure. So best avoidance is um, obviously vaccination helps not necessarily get a zero risk of flu, but it decreases the risk of 
complications and hospitalization. So I always say that just a reminder to everyone, but mask mitigation, distance mitigation. So in those who are high risk, um, remembering a mask is, is protective. And we know that from looking at the data over the last few years. And just because I do this on my side, my side part of my infectious disease life is all about really taking care of yourself. So uh, sleep is very important to your immune system. There's lots of anti-inflammatory foods that help kind of boost your immune system. Taking Managing stress. Stress is a big significance in um, risk factors for becoming sick and lowering your immune system. So in those you know who are higher risk, for sure, making sure those other parts of your lifestyle are managed in conjunction, as well as having your family members or healthcare providers or loved ones around you vaccinated to help protect you as well. Great. Any benefit from, uh, you know, we have a lot of patients asking about vitamin C and zinc and vitamin D, some of those over-the-counter supplements. Yeah, so there there are some small studies that that show early, either very very early treatment or uh, pre treatment with zinc. If you're starting to feel you know a little off, zinc, vitamin C. Once you're full blown symptoms, unfortunately, it's not very helpful. But again, not sure they're significantly better than getting rest, eating properly, exercising, um, and and really making sure your family around you and the people around you are. are are vaccinated as well. Once you administer beloxavir, given uh, that you want to stay away from dairy products, how long should a patient uh, avoid those dairy products after that administration? It's just a two hour. So just uh, avoiding within the two hours. And it's basically chelation. It's common with like doxycycline, where we say don't take milk products or antacids. And it's basically but it just binds, and so you don't get full absorption. So two hours is is a reasonable amount of time. It looks like while beloxavir is superior to oseltamivir, uh, she asked about cost and coverage. Uh, which one is preferred from an insurance standpoint? Uh, she states that generic oseltamivir out of pocket with like a coupon and discount programs is about $20. So how does beloxavir compare with oseltamivir in that regard? So this is a good question, and it, a lot of it is insurance dependent, as we know. So um, if you have commercial insurance, you can get coupon discounts with Beloxavir that are $20, I believe um, the pharmacists do, or you can download on your phone. If you have federally funded based insurance, you can't use those coupons, so um, it can typically be more expensive. And it changes constantly depending on what insurance. As we all know, insurances have certain medicines that are preferred or not preferred. So it very much varies based on your insurance. Can asthmatic patients, and I assume other patients with significant lung disease, should we consider bacterial infection in addition to a viral infection based on our evaluation of the patient? This is a little bit hard of a question to answer because it's really clinical based, right? If someone's just newly with flu symptoms um, and it's been a couple of days, it's very, very, very unlikely they would have a bacterial co-infection. If someone says, you know, my husband had symptoms and it may have been the flu last week and then my symptoms have been going on for a week. And so long story short, if they have a prolonged 
clinical symptoms that sound like it may have been viral and maybe now bacterial, then yes, that would be uh, reasonable to consider a bacterial infection. But early on in disease, even in asthmatics, it's very, very unusual to have a co-infection within the first few days of a flu infection. And there's very great studies basically looking at whether we really need antimicrobials in the hospitalized COVID patient. And it's, it's, it's like negligible. It really is negligible early in disease. If you treat somebody with an antiviral for positive flu, uh, and then later they are exposed to the flu, would you treat a, with an antiviral for prophylactic measures? So I'm going to guess that they're talking about they were treated and then we'll fast forward a few weeks or a few months or later in the season and they're exposed again um, and they're high risk or have some significant risk. I would absolutely treat with post-exposure prophylaxis because, again, we don't know if it's flu A, flu B. Um, and so it's very common that one flu A or B is one of them is earlier in the season, one is later. That's typically how it happens. Um, and so I would recommend, yes, if they're at risk for treating them, even if they were treated earlier in the season. How are flu rates usually calculated? So it's very state dependent. So in the state of California, flu is a reportable disease in most states, not all. It's reported either the lab reports or if you're doing rapids in an urgent care or a clinic setting, you are actually supposed to upload it to website. And that's actually how they gauge flu activity. Now, every state is different. I would highly recommend looking at your local recommendations. Every state Department of Health does have a website and they usually will list flu activity. You can even sign up for weekly emails uh, where they'll give you, you know, graphs of, um, of flu activity. It's important. And just as a quick little side note, last year, my son was super, super sick. It was very early in the season. I tested him more times than he ever wanted to be tested for COVID. Every 48 hours, he had every classic symptom. It was day seven. I knew he didn't have COVID, but I didn't have a rapid flu at home. I brought him to urgent care. The doc laughed at me. He's like, ah. Oh, we don't have flu. What are you talking about? And I'm like, he has to have flu. Long story short, he tested him. He was the first case in the county because nobody was testing. <laughs> so you only know if you're testing. I uh, want to thank Dr. Zivin Tutela. Thank you so much for joining us and lending us your expertise. Thank you very much, Dr. Zivin Tutela and Mr. Zalina. And thanks to you, the listeners, for joining us. As a reminder, to view the full program, the Return of the Flu, Prevention and Management Beyond Vaccination in 2022, and to download the slide set associated with this discussion from the Practicing Clinicians Exchange website, please click on the link in the show notes. As always, thank you for listening. Thank you.